Hey, if you brought a Bible, I hope you did, go ahead and grab it. John chapter 9 is what you need to find. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. John is towards the back half of your Bible, a place called the New Testament. Look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it will go. If you're in Acts or Romans, you've gone too far. Take a hard left. You'll find it. If you're a guest with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for being here. We started a series of talks last week called Flip the Switch. The thesis behind this collection of talks is that I believe because Jesus is at the right hand of God sitting in heaven, uh, that he rose from the dead in order to get there. He isn't able to help us physically while here on this planet. So because of that, he did what he promised he would do, which is send us the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Spirit is who helps guide us and direct us and lead us in life. But it's clear that not everybody utilizes the Holy Spirit's help because there's a lot of evil and wicked in the world. Just watch the news, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's clear that, that not everybody is following the Holy Spirit's path and, and guidance. And so uh, since that's clear, it's, uh, it's also clear that we're going to need something to help us maybe flip a switch. I believe that because other people are following the Holy Spirit's guidance, means there's also a lot of good in the world, that, that there must be some sort of flip we can switch where it's no longer us who lives, but Christ's Spirit in us. And so that's the point of the series. We're trying to plug in to God. We're trying to flip the switch in different areas of our lives. It might be helpful for you to think of a breaker panel. You've all seen a breaker panel before in your house, I'm sure, but there's different uh, switches, different fuses that you can switch that all uh, correlate to a different section of your house. But none of the switches do any good if they're not plugged into the main power, right? And so we're trying to figure out how to plug in to God because the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. God is our main power source, but then there's different areas of our life that we need to flip some switches on. And uh, the, truth, the truth of the matter is God's made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and, and to live a new life. We can be unplugged from spiritual darkness. That's what we talked about last week. That's the main switch that we've got to flip, that we've got to understand who Jesus is and what He came to do on our behalf. And uh, where is He trying to change our lives now? That's where we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, together. Um, Trying to figure out how God can change our lives. Like, what switches can we flip and live the way God intended us uh, to live? I titled today's message, Don't Trust the Carrot. What? That's what we're talking about today. Hopefully it'll make sense uh, in a little bit. But ideally, you already understand that if a, if a carrot said anything to you, you shouldn't trust it. You know what I'm saying? These are the jokes, people. Okay, that's, what, that's all I got. John chapter 9, let's read. You should be there by now. As Jesus was walking along, He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or did his parents sin? It was not because of his sins or his parents sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. We found that out last week. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. 
It's a lot of spit. That would Jesus must have been hydrated well. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, this is a doppelganger. Just looks like it. It's not him. Beggars said, no, it's me. They asked, who healed you? What happened? We've got some questions we would like to ask that person who healed you. He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. He didn't say anything about the spit there. That's a good move on his part. So I went and washed. Now I see. Aren't you happy for me? Where is he now, they asked. I don't know. He replied, I can't, couldn't see before, so I don't know where he went. It's just logical. <laughs> then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. When the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, hey, is this your son? Was he born blind? How can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who announced that if anyone said Jesus was the Messiah, they would be expelled from the synagogue. That's a huge cultural deal if you get kicked out of church. This is the only way you can be forgiven of sins and and all that thing. So it's a really big deal if you get kicked out of the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was once blind, but now I see. Let's pray. God. Thank you again just for the opportunity to come gather here from your word. We believe it is true. We believe these are your words. We believe it can change lives. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Do what only you can do. Save people's lives. Do uh, this in these next few moments together, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So in my short time of being a pastor, I have discovered a lot of us have believed lies. Now, in fairness, we don't know that they're lies or we wouldn't actually believe them. But because we have believed them, we are now living our lives by them. I'm sure you realize once you believe uh, something to be true, it changes how you live. I'm sure you know the lies that once you believe them, they can have the same power of truth within your life, even if they're not true. I'll give you an example. Carrots. Carrots. When your parents are trying to convince you to eat carrots or motivate you to eat carrots, what would they tell you? Eat your carrots. It will improve your sight. Eyesight. You told your kids the same thing. Right? Eat your carrots. They're good for your eyes. Now, here's the only problem with that. It's not true. 
Carrots don't actually improve your eyesight. According to a source at the Carrot Museum, that is a real place, okay, so don't, I'm not making this up. The notion that carrots improve eyesight can be traced back to the British Royal Air Force during World War II. It was wartime propaganda. British pilots were using radar for the very first time, and they were shooting down a bunch of enemy planes, and in an effort to conceal this new cutting-edge technology, a rumor was started that pilots could uh, see at night and shoot down these planes because they ate a lot of carrots. That's what the British told the enemy. It's 1942. You know, apparently a lot of people are gullible back then. You know, there's no internet. Who knows? Uh, But this fabricated fact was either uh, released to or heard by or leaked to one of the writers for Bugs Bunny. And so he put it in the American cartoon, and millions of Americans who tuned in believed to this day the lie that if you eat carrots, it will improve your vision. Scientifically, it's completely unfounded. Now, to be fair and honest, uh, it's partially true. Vitamin A and beta carotene are found in carrots, and both can help with your eyesight. But the amount of carrots you would have to eat to actually reap that benefit is astronomical. You would be worse off for the amount of carrots you had to eat. Your eyes would be better. You would be probably dead from the amount of carrots you had to eat. Even still, we believed this for so long that it's changed our lives. It's true. Some of you right now are thinking to your mind, nope, you're wrong. Okay, pastor, despite me telling you it's not true, you're like, no, I believe it's true. Don't listen to them, kids, right? It's true. Get back to the Bible, preacher. Your pack of lies are ruining my life. No, that's the problem with lies. The longer we believe them to be true, the harder for us to realize when they aren't. I also find it somewhat ironic that the carrot is historically a symbol for lying. I anticipate you know what I mean when I say the carrot and the stick. It's based on the idea that a cart driver might activate a reluctant mule by dangling a carrot in front of it. It's emblematic that you can use a reward, a positive reward, to induce behavior. But the carrot's really a lie, isn't it? I mean, the donkey's never actually going to get the carrot. It's always one step ahead of him. So let me ask you a couple questions. Is it possible that if we've believed a lie about something as insignificant as carrots, that maybe we've believed some even more significant lies? And if that's true, then is it also possible that the lies we believed might have more significant implications than merely eyesight? Maybe this is a better question. Is it possible that we've just accepted some things to be true that may not be true at all, similar to a carrot on a stick, and instead of leading us somewhere good, the carrots that we're following might actually be leading us towards the edge of a cliff? I think the answer to these proverbial questions is a solid yes, not because, well, Pastor, anything is possible, but rather because we see in the opening lines of our story here in Scripture that same thing to be true. The disciples have clearly believed a lie. That if something bad happens to you, or if you've done something bad, uh, that's when thing, bad things happen to you. The, the reason bad things happen are as a punishment for anything that you've done, or your parents have done. It's why they asked Jesus about it. Hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Human beings have generally seek out answers or rationale that can help them deal with hard questions. 
Questions like pain and suffering and evil. Most human beings, like the disciples, assume that the problem of blindness for this man could be more tolerable if he understood why it happened. But that too is a lie. Having answers to your questions and having knowledge about why bad things happen and does nothing to alleviate pain or sorrow or grief or heartache. I'm guessing the disciples, if they believe this to be true, that bad things happen as a result of sin, then surely the blind man believed it too. He probably believed that, yeah, he must have done something and this is just a punishment or his parents did something, this is a punishment. The notion of karma is incredibly old, especially, especially in Mideast and Eastern civilization. So maybe he thought that this was punishment from you know, life before, that he was somehow being repaid from something that he did in a past life. I'm sure as he was thinking about this, he's probably used the line, if his parents are the ones who send you, I wish I was never born. You ever heard that as a parent of teenagers? And maybe he, like some of you or someone you know, refuses to believe there is a God because how could a good God allow something like this to happen? It's a classic argument. A tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. Beauty and the beauty. No, sorry. Sometimes my ADD gets to me. The argument of this classic argument that, that either God is all powerful but not all good and therefore doesn't stop evil, or he is all good but not all, fair, uh, all powerful and therefore can't stop evil. Essentially, what people are doing with that is passing all the blame on God. Anything that goes wrong is God's fault. But here's what I wonder. Don't we share some responsibility in this thing called life? Has not God not given us free will? I mean, do we not have the ability to choose right and wrong and whatever we decide is what we decide? I think the point we must keep in mind is that man, not God, is responsible for sin. If you read way back in Genesis, when sin entered into the world, you'll see that God did not create sin. He created the world perfect. He created it uh, free of anything wrong and free of sin. And uh, He had to create the potential for sin, which which is why there's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But He didn't create sin. His goal from the beginning was always for us to follow after Him and choose His ways over our own ways. He had no intention that death or disease or uh, accidents or any of the other repercussions of sin would ever come into human existence. He always intended us to live a good, abundant, beautiful, blessed life. Yet the fact of the matter is, we as human beings back then did what we still do now, and we chose our own way. We said our way is better than God's way. Ultimately, this is the lie that we are most likely to believe. This is the carrot we'll most likely chase after. I know better than God. I'm going to show you two texts that will help us set the stage for what we're going to spend the next few moments on today talking about. John 8:44. Jesus says, The devil has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, the only words that the devil speaks are lies. He says no other uh, uh, words besides lies. 
Now in Genesis 3, we see the devil show up to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, man, God doesn't want you to become like him. He's holding out on you. That's why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit of this tree. He knows that you're going to understand everything that he understands, and he's keeping from something from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's insecure. That's what the problem with this tree is. That's what the devil tells Adam and Eve. And the problem is they believe the same lie, that God was holding out on you, on them. And we believe the same lie. God's holding out on us. It's why we can't wait for sex. It's why we have to drink. It's why we tried drugs. It's why we try and buy happiness. It's why we fought. It's why we lie. It's why we cheat. The reason for every one of your bad decisions is I know better than God. I'm choosing my way instead of God's way. It's why you've always uh, made some of these decisions. Who is God to tell me what to do? Now, that's ultimately a different lie than the lie that the disciples believed, but they are related. See, everything that you've ever done or anything that's been done to you is based on one of two lies. Either the first one, which is I, well, I just got done talking about, I know better than God, who's got to tell me what to do? That's the first lie. Or lie number two, I must have done something to anger God, and He is allowing this to happen to me. Those are the two lies that we as human beings believe. Everything can be traced back to one of those two things. Now, it's the lie the disciples believed, it's a lie that uh, we have believed, and it's likely the lie, the carrot that this blind man believed. Somebody did something or this man would not have been blind. Now, Jesus's point is, no, sometimes bad things simply happen. We live in a broken, fallen, sinful world and bad things happen. He said the same thing in Luke chapter 13 when the disciples asked him about this tower that fell down and killed some people. And they're like, hey, why did that happen? And Jesus's point is, Bad things sometimes happen. There's not necessarily an explanation for why it happened aside from sin entering the world and fracturing every part of humanity. Now, Jesus broadens his explanation here when he says the blindness, blind man's, blind man's blindness, whatever. It happened so that God could be glorified. And what you need to leave here today understanding is that sometimes the Lord will remove your problem and it is glorious. And other times God will allow your problem to stay and you have to choose to glorify God despite the fact that He hasn't answered your request. Jot this down if you're taking notes. God doesn't want you to become God. He wants you to become godly. God doesn't want you to become God. He wants you to become godly. And I'll explain it like this. Since people believe the lie, the carrot, that bad things only happen as a punishment, or the lie that uh, our way is better than God's way, we believe that we deserve an easy life because we're good people. Bad things shouldn't happen to us. So when we have problems or setbacks, we say, well, why me? And Jesus says in the opening line of our story, hey, this wasn't because of sin. This isn't a punishment. This is because God is going to be glorified through this blindness. 
And in a very real way, Jesus is saying to you and to me through this story, instead of asking why, we ought to be asking ourselves how. Despite the fact that this happened, how can God be glorified in and through it? Like if God is not saying yes to your request and seek to glorify God through the no. You can say, Lord, show me how to glorify you in spite of this problem. Show me how to bring glory to your name through my disability or my setback or my sickness or my issues. What a powerful witness that is to a lost world. Anyone can have a smile on their face in the spring in the step when the bills are paid and the skies are blue and the birds are singing. But when storm clouds start rolling in and you can actually glorify God in and through the storm and when tragedies like the big ones, the big setbacks happen in life and a person can still smile and praise God, that is a wonderful witness to people who don't know the Lord. Fact of the matter is, God is way more concerned about your character than He is blessing you because your character is what you're going to bring with you to heaven. You know what I'm saying? So God's trying to help mold you and shape you into a better human being. But you've got to flip the switch on the lies you're believing. And one of the lies that we're believing is that we can control any and all of our situations as if we're God. But you're not God. And God doesn't want you to be God. He just wants you to be godly. How so? Obedience leads to outcome. Write that down. Obedience leads to outcome. We've already read that this man was cured from his blindness. But have you ever noticed how many different ways Jesus healed people? Like sometimes he would touch them. Sometimes they would touch him. Sometimes he would speak a word directly to them. Other times, he would speak a word about them to somebody else. In this case, he made a spit mud pie. Why? Why did he vary his techniques? So people would not focus on the healing, but they would focus on the healer. This is something to keep in mind. We can make a whole methodology out of different ways that God works, and people will build entire denominations around certain things, and people have probably built a church around this. You know, they call themselves the Spitalites. This is, this is who we are. This is what we do. We get together with our bottles of water. We spit on one another. It's very gratifying. Highly, highly recommend it. But, but no, it's why Jesus varied the way he touched people, so people wouldn't get hung up on a technique. It's so that they wouldn't trust the carrot. He's the one who heals. Furthermore, for Jesus, it was never about their physical disease. It was about changing their hearts. Again, this is one of the carrots the blind man believes in. Is he believes that once I'm cured of my blindness, then everything's good. I'm good to go. And Jesus is trying to say, no, you've got something happening within your heart that you need to see as well. Jesus is about changing people's hearts. That's what he was after. All we see is the symptoms. The care, the blindness, the deformity, the sickness. Jesus need, knows that what you really need is a change of heart. And so he wants your obedience before you get your outcome. Put yourself in this story. Imagine being somebody standing on the side of the road seeing this happen. The disciples are out walking with Jesus. They stop in front of this blind man, which he has no idea who they are. And they just say, hey, hey Jesus, who's, check out this blind man who sinned. Uh, was it him or was it parents? That's like, 
uh, you and me were walking into downtown Wichita and finding a homeless guy, and you're like, hey, pastor, who sinned that this man's homeless? Was it him or was it his parents? Like, we would not be friends anymore if that was how our conversation started. Like, uh, that's very uncool of you to say that. But it's almost as if they don't even care that the blind guy is there. They're just like, hey, Jesus, what's up with this blind guy? Is he really a horrible human being or were his parents really horrible and like sucky? And the guy's like, "Uh, I'm blind, not deaf. You know, I'm standing right here. You're talking about me. But I'm sure on some level, he's kind of curious to get the answer. Is it me? Was it my parents? Why am I blind? I wonder if this Jesus guy, I wonder if he has the answer. And Jesus, completely unembarrassed, says neither. Nobody sinned. This man is blind so that God will be glorified. Now, I'm sure at this point, the blind man is like, wait, how is God being glorified by the fact that I'm blind? Who is this God? This sounds like a horrible God, not a good God that I'm blind. And the next thing he hears is Jesus saying, now we need to get to work glorifying God. And then he begins spitting on the ground. The blind man curiously asks, hey, what's that sound? What's going on? Is somebody sick? What? And Jesus is over there hawking a loogie into the ground. The disciples, they have no idea what's going on either. They're just like, sir, calm down. Uh, we're, we're trying to see what's going on too. But Jesus mixes up some mud with the spit. He br- proceeds to pick up the mud. He starts forming it in his hands. The disciples are still all confused. The people who have gathered around, they're in shock because nobody's ever seen somebody handling their own spit and forming it into a mask before. And, and uh, Jesus fashions it and he puts it on the man's face. You would do what everybody in the crowd did. Like, oh! <laughs> Oh no, gross. Like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? The blind man has no idea this is spit that's being put on his face. And he's like, what? What? What happened? Why are you groaning? The disciples said, groan. We're not, we weren't groaning. We, were you groaning? I, well, there's a, there's a leper over there. Have you seen that guy? That's why I mean, be, thank, be thankful you're blind. You know, those guys are disgusting to look at. That's why we were groaning. Uh, the blind man says, does it have to do with spitting I heard earlier? And they're like, no, no, you're good, man. That's nothing. That guy spit, he's gone. He's not even here anymore. <laughs> Jesus says, now you need to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. The blind man says, well, why? And everybody that's with him is like, you probably really want to go wash that off. You don't need to know why at this point. Just go wash off your face. And But look, nowhere in our text does it say that Jesus told the blind man if he went and washed, he would be healed. He just went. And obedience and action led to this man's outcome. So again, I'll ask you a question. Has the Lord told you to do something lately? Sometimes we don't know why we feel inclined to do something. We just have this sense about us that this is what God wants me to do. And the point is, you need to take that step of faith. And God doesn't steer parked cars. Have you ever heard that before? Like you need to be in motion. And if you're trusting a carrot and believing the lie that God should do something for you because He is God, no. The pattern you always see in Scripture is God tells you to do something and out of obedience you do it, and then you get your outcome. This is what happened to the blind man. That's what he was asked to do. 
It's what happened to Moses. It's what happened to Noah. It's what happens over and over in Scripture. This is the theme and the pattern we see. God says go, you go, and then you get your outcome. We're going to talk about that next week with a guy named uh, Naaman. But don't miss what happened when the blind man left. People got mad. They weren't happy for this man. They said, where'd this Jesus go? We've got some things that we would like to ask him to do for us as well. He says, I don't know. And that's when they take him to be uh, questioned because the people didn't get what they wanted out of Jesus. And he discovered what many of us have discovered, which is that it'll cost you something to follow Jesus. I think he'd tell you today that it was worth it. Gaining his sight was worth losing some friends, especially when you consider that the miracle wasn't just being able to see. It was being able to recognize all that he saw. Imagine the learning curve that you would have to go through. Wasn't there like a Val Kilmer movie about that uh, where he was blind and he gets to see and he can't recognize anything? Nobody knows. Who cares? It doesn't matter. I just thought of that. But this man clearly didn't have to go through that. When he was able to see and he showed up at the synagogue, he was not freaked out by seeing human beings for the first time. He just knew what they were. That's the miracle of God healing his blindness. He also gave him recognition to understand everything that he saw. Amazing. But here's the last thing that I want you to know. Jot this down. Religion rejects relationship restores. What we see in the synagogue is religion rejects relationship restores goes back to the carrot conversation about how we know better than God. The Pharisees in this story, they're like, this could never happen. God said, you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus clearly spit like a lot, which is arguably work. There's a lot of muscles involved in that. So we can't have that with, you know, Jesus producing that much spittle on the Sabbath. You see what they're doing? We know better than God. God's not allowed to do this. Our way is better than God's way. Again, same carrot we all believe, just packaged in a different bag, in a different color. So here's what I want you to understand and and see and what I really want you to do as we close. First of all, understand that religion will always reject you. It turned this man away. The Pharisees kicked him out of the temple. Verse 34, again, they're questioning him. And he says, no, this is God. It, it, how can else can it be? He healed me. And they're like, who are you to tell us? You know, and then, so they kick him out of the temple. I doubt it was done cordially. But maybe this is how some of you have come through life. You've been chewed up and spit out by religion. You've been disillusioned by something that a minister or a priest or someone who claimed to be a Christian did or said. Turned you away. He said, that's it. I'm done. But for whatever reason, he thought, maybe I'll just give this church thing one last chance. And that's why you're here today. And you want to know, what I want you to know, is that Jesus took this man in and he will do the same thing for you. The best news that I can give you is Jesus will never disappoint you. There's a good chance that I will. There's a good chance that this church will. But Jesus will not not if you refuse to believe the carrots. That God must be mad at you, which is why you're being punished. Or there's no way God could be glorified in this, which is again another lie in believing that I know better than God because I know that there's no way God could be glorified in this. My way is better. So hear me. Religion had nothing for this man, but Jesus had everything for him. 
Jesus sought this man out. He had something better to give him. The first thing that he offered him was a relationship which the man took. Verse 38 says the man worshipped Jesus. But the other thing that he was offered was a chance for obedience. And the man took his chance. The question is, will you take yours? Now, I don't know what that next step of obedience for you is. Could be any number of different things. Could be signing up to join a small group because real life change happens in circles, not rows. And I can't change your life uh, on a Sunday morning in an hour, but if you do life with one another, you can absolutely change your life. It could be that maybe you need to read the Bible more. It could be that you need to take that next step of obedience and baptism. And, and let people know that my life has been changed and I'm going to let everybody know that. And so I'm going to choose to be baptized as a believer in Christ for the very first time. It could be giving more financially. So you're giving sacrificially. It could be giving more of your time, serving. God has given you a gift and He wants you to use it. We get that in Ephesians. We're all part of a body and you got to use your part. But I don't know what your next step of obedience is. Here's what I do know. None of it will matter if you're not doing it to glorify God. Don't believe the lie that God is holding out on you. God's punishing you for something. Obedience will always lead to a different outcome. You've just got to be willing to take the next step. Flip the switch on the carrot. Instead of believing the lie, believe in Jesus. You can follow Him. He will never disappoint you. Amen, somebody. Let me pray. God, again, thank You so much for this time together. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for helping us each and every day. God, I believe there are people here this morning who have believed lies. They didn't know there were lies until they showed up today and You opened up their heart to reveal that truth to them. Help them as they seek to uh, start new, start fresh, uh, change their life. Help them take that next step of obedience. You're leading them somewhere, God. Help them in faith to go that direction, to take one step closer to You. And as we continue to pray, I believe that there are some of you here this morning who have yet to trust God as your Savior that for whatever reason you have believed that your way is better and you've come to a point in life where you're like, you know what, it's not. Sick of doing things my own way. I'm sick of searching. Everything I'm doing never leads me to true happiness. And what I'm trying to tell you today is you can find it. Jesus wants you to have life and have it to the full. He just asks that you follow Him. And in obedience, He'll lead you to that new outcome you're looking for. And I want to give you a chance to accept Jesus as your Savior to Get this new life that the Bible promises you. And the Bible says just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you'll be saved. And so I want to give you a chance to do that. Just in your own heart, you can say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've believed lies. I now believe the truth. I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe I can be made new. Help me follow You. I give You my life. God, I thank You for that new life. I thank You for all the lives of the people represented here today. Help us 
as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said a good amen, amen.